Dreams crushed. Shut up and do your silence. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of The Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight... On the 15th of February, I am joined by Philippa War. Hi. And Tom Senior. Hello. You're quite all right, Pip. No. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the silence to be so hilarious. We had a big old pause for noise cancelling purposes. <laughs> and Pip couldn't quite handle it. No. No, it was a bit much. <laughs> and that is all of the news. <laughs> <laughs> Because, well, it hasn't necessarily been a quiet week because there's been, there's been rumblings from Valve. But I don't know about you guys, but I feel like we've had quite a lot of conversations lately about, uh, Valve and what they do and how they are and why that makes them do what they do. And so while the latest news about Greenlight being scrapped and replaced is interesting, doesn't feel like the kind of thing we're ready to have the hottest of hot, hot, hot takes about. In when, fact, the, when the takes happen, when they're out of the oven. They're going to be baked. Those takes are in the oven. Bacon takes. Bacon takes. Delicious. And good. (laughs) Microwavable pop takes. Steamed buns. Ooh. (laughs) That was kind of hot hot cakes. Hot cakes. Steamed hot cakes. I don't know. This nonsense is all you're getting from us this week. Yeah. What we might do, this is times like this that I miss Tom Francis, not just because he's, you know, nice and our friend, but because, and not only because he's at Valve, but because, um, uh, yeah, that would be uh, useful. <laughs> as uh, as an indie developer, he, he has you know he's able to bring a bit of bit of the old insight that thing we sometimes don't have. Um, so maybe this is a, a subject for the next time we have a independent developer. And also, when Valve have actually sorted out what they're yes. going to do with the whole system, because they don't know. Hmm. We've now spent about two and a half minutes talking about Valve. It's time to kick that in the face. Tom, you're angry at Valve. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit angry at Valve. <laughs> Particularly the Steam's big picture mode, which has um, ruined a potentially fun time for me uh, in the past week. Uh, because I, I wanted to play some Portal 2. And I plugged my PC into my telly. And I was like, oh, it's great. I'll, I said, I'm going to go up and I'll play some Portal 2 for a bit. Uh, plugged two controllers in. And then the nightmare began. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it thought it was like one controller spread across two like devices. Okay. Uh, I, I set up different profiles for each one. Steam <laughs> recognized that they were both Xbox One controllers, but in Portal 2, just random stuff went, sometimes the right sticks would not work. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, one controller would work and the other one wouldn't. Sometimes you'd get into the menu and it, you wouldn't be able to activate co-op because you have to press X and it didn't recognize what X was on. <laughs> and it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and I went to the, like the Steam forums. I did the whole kind of Google for the problem stuff. And they're like, oh, you need to create a text file and you need to put in, like, like just copy and paste this, uh, you know, the whole fucking spec for a new controller in there, then rename it and then drag it into... It's like, fuck this. <laughs> uh, seriously, like, the whole idea of big picture mode is that you're supposed to just be able to use your PC as a living room device. You plug it in to your telly and then you download the game, you play the game and it acts like basically like a console, you know. And, oh my God, <laughs> it was... Just it was a proper fucking PC gaming moment. There's an amazing GIF of uh, <laughs> just 
called fucking PC gaming, which is of a man just tearing apart in the Half-Life 2 engine, tearing apart a PC with his limbs. And <laughs> it completely felt like that in the moment because I thought that the PC had reached the point where it was also just a kind of plug in and play casual thing as well mm. as, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? How naive was I? <laughs> but to be fair, like plugging, like one thing that reliably works now is if you plug an Xbox controller into your PC, games recognize it immediately. Yeah. And, you know, will update key mapping on, on the fly and based on the, the most recent input you made. Yeah. That's, that's, well, that's been standard been for years. Yeah, absolutely. The idea that having putting two controllers in should suddenly be fucking just break everything and just to such an extent that it's not worth the effort um i love that it couldn't quite work out if you were two people (laughs) i know it's like disturbing really that's a kind of basic (laughs) it's a personal computer not a a two personal computer (laughs) it kind of it wanted them to be steam controllers and i was like well do i need to set them up as steam controllers but you know in one screen it would think that it would tell you that it knew what controllers they were on another screen it would be asking you to set up a steam controller profile <laughs> it was a total it's a complete fucking mess one screen can only lie the other <laughs> screen can only <laughs> tell the, the truth, truth. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it was just awful and i was really really disappointed because i thought that was the point of like steam boxes and of all the things you'd expect to work it would be a valve game right like, yeah using yeah, exactly. their software yeah yeah and and uh, you know it wasn't just like a one-off thing so i tried this twice and took like, spent an hour on it each time, uh, trying to get it to work. And then went on all these forums where everyone's been having the same problems. So it's, it's, it's obviously a problem. <laughs> it's something that just doesn't work. You can't play split screen with two controllers in fucking Portal 2 on big screen mode. Like, what's the point of, of the entire mode if that's not going to work? Very cross. <laughs> As <laughs> you can tell. They had the one person who was like, oh, that's a really good idea. Let's make sure that that starts to happen. And then they didn't have the follow-up person who was like, I'm the person who wants to fix the bugs with this stupid (laughs) system. (laughs) I'm going to wheel my desk over to that pile of problems. (laughs) They got to the point where it successfully recognises two separate controllers, but then the follow-through is not there. It's uh, very annoying Um, and and sad. So that's my... annoying and sad. It's my Valve complaint for this week. Of the week. Please fix that, Valve. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Tom, Francis, get on that. <laughs> Don't care that you don't actually work there. You're physically there. Just push someone over yeah. to that problem. Yeah, find somebody. Unchain know. their desk. Yeah, I bet Me- someone will uh, will tweet us with like a, just the most obvious and easy fix. But it like, wasn't did you to plug me. it into the right thing? Yeah, like that kind of. Did you try to turn it off and on again? Yes. <laughs> it will be some firmware update for the Xbox One controller or whatever yeah. you used to plug it in well i tried it with various controllers and i'd be like oh i need to update your bios or something really no don't do that no stupid it's stupid. annoying uh, well so pc gaming is awful i'm glad we finally figured that out well no need to do the rest of this yeah. podcast <laughs> yeah, just indeed. drink the wine downstairs <laughs> yeah let's play on our ps4 downstairs <laughs> where, where multiplayer work. works yeah. yeah i player doesn't though no, I'll tell you that. I thought I was. So, oh, it's so bad. When you said let's sack off the rest of this podcast, I was trying to figure out how you were going to bring this round to Holby City as fast as possible. <laughs> oh That's yeah, how no, we've got an that. episode that we can watch. But, yeah, I mean, and what know. will we use to watch that? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Chris is actually enjoying Holby City because he's found the most ridiculous character and has instantly developed. I've gotten a very kind attached to the man in him. Holby City who definitely doesn't know what program he's in at all. <laughs> He's sort of a bit like Sanchez from Dark Place, which is the best character in Dark Place, except he's in an actual hospital drama. <laughs> and he's an actor who had a bit part in Game of Thrones, and you can kind of tell. 
because there's a register of the show that he's simply <laughs> which brings, yeah. brings a, a hint of thrones into the whole yeah thing. he's played a sexy dornishman in the game of thrones and he's uh, still playing a sexy dornishman now even mm. though that makes no sense in the context of a middle he sometimes England. announces that he'd like to seduce a mermaid he used that as an allegory and i can't yeah. get over it and like, also like he did this thing where he was like trying to look suave and turn over a playing card while predicting what it was going to be and it wasn't and then he just flounces off saying you cannot have everything yeah. well that was that was like, the point of the mermaid thing as well he was supposed sure. to be he was, they were trying to find some way for him to say you know like if wishes were horses beggars would ride uh he's supposed to be italian and his italian version of that was well i have always wanted to sleep with a mermaid but i will not <laughs> something like it's that. the best he's so the best. yeah he's chris is just sat there and every week that he isn't in it he's just but, devastated I mean, well i mean <laughs> another inexplicable television man mm. um is uh and uh, and indeed literary man is is sherlock holmes great segue nice. seamless Thanks. i'm getting i'm just Absolutely i just needed to find seamless find the doors of holby city and push them open by any means necessary <sighs> flee into the car park um you've been playing place to be Sherlock Holmes, colon, Crimes and Punishments. <laughs> crimes and Punishments of the Colon. Yeah, I was going like to say, medical text Sherlock Holmes' is colon City. crimes. It's a very different game. <laughs> well, I have just been harpooning a pig carcass, just to prove a point. In, Beg your in pardon, what? In a kind of David Cameronian sense, or a... Oh, God, no, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a bit blue for this oh, podcast, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> What's Why the deal with the pig in the game, thing? the video game? So, um, it's because I'm doing some deductions and they involve how much force it would take to get a harpoon to penetrate a corpse. Um, and so he, you know, goes off to the local butchers with Watson and harpoons a few pig carcasses mm. using a mini game. And then <laughs> Watson's like, well, I'll pay for these, then shall I? And Sherlock's like, yes, good, bye. <laughs> and just leaves. That's Sherlock. <laughs> so, Out of yeah. ten, what would you give this video game experience? <laughs> well, so I'm only about half an hour in, because I was, I was playing it on a whim uh, just before we started recording this. And for, like, interior design... It's brilliant. Wow. It's got great neck curtains. It's got like a philodendron, like, oop dear, blooming in the, in the sun. It's a philodendron alarm. (laughs) Of the window. Um, there's a telescope which you can use to sort of peer at your, uh, neighbor who is wearing a very low cut top and her ample bosom is. (laughs) What, What, is this leisure suit Larry now? Well, no, but I think it was a kind of, you know, I think it's intended as a kind of gotcha moment because the first thing you do when you go over to the window is you see this telescope and if you look through it, it kind of, in air quotes, rewards you with a not very attractive lady to look at. And so it's kind of, it's this really weird thing that feels like they're making a joke mm. and it's it, it's really odd, but like... Yeah, so that's an odd moment. And then, but it did make me laugh because it was just kind of like, okay, you're, you're doing a thing, I guess. Um, and sort of trying to riff on, on Sherlock in a really weird way. Mm. Like, I, I really didn't know what they were, 
Well, I guess they were sort of trying to do it as a kind of haha, you perv kind of thing. But it was mm. just a kind of like, well, I wanted to see what Sherlock was looking at. So are you laughing at him? Anyway, that doesn't really matter. Um, and the room is just sort of populated with all of these like things on the walls and like uh, red string linking things on a map. And, you know, it's very sort of as you would expect a Sherlock kind of apartment to look. Um, but I kind of liked it because it was so cluttered and so kind of luxuriantly sort of him, I guess. And then you, what it actually is in terms of a game is a hidden object adventure in 3D with awful loading times. (laughs) (laughs) And I was kind of like, I mean... I actually love hidden object adventures, so surely that's a good thing, but it's the loading times that are the real problem, because if it's doing all of this stuff where it essentially leads you around by the nose and is like, okay, now you need to go and collect a harpoon from this particular location, and then you have to load the location, which involves a cutscene where you sit in a um, carriage reading your book for a while and then you get out and then you run over to the cabin and then you get the harpoon and then you select the map again and then you go to the thing it's like what was the point of all of that you know quote unquote interaction Mm. when you know and if it's in a hidden object adventure at least it would just be like three clicks and then you're done you know it wouldn't be a kind of oh for god's sake obstructive feeling in quite the same way um and so i was just getting fed up with that as a as a thing even though i like those kinds of games because i think it's just they don't i mean that's why you pare down the the graphics and stuff you know you you want them to load quicker you want them to you know not be 3d exploration things because it doesn't necessarily add much to the experience you know the only thing that I've done that has involved it being a 3D space was hide behind a shed to see whether someone came back one evening. And it's like, that's really basic as interactions go. And so, you know, you could have done that 2D or you could have, you know, and it's... So I kind of appreciate the effort that they've put into designing the space, but I don't think that they've managed to do anything compelling with the um with the story or anything the only thing i would say is that it does have a sense of humor and and not in the kind of like haha made you look at a lady who isn't conventionally attractive it's it's a kind of you know like when you go and stab a bunch of pigs with a harpoon watson is kind of eye rolling and just being like well i'll pay for this then i guess shall i Mm -hmm. and holmes is being sort of that um slightly out of touch with reality very over entitled kind of you know Mm. well obviously yes bye see you at home (laughs) it's got the glib victorian bants down yeah and like there's a bit at the beginning where you go into the room and you hear i think it's like revolver fire and it's just holmes has been sent a bunch of vases by someone and he's decided that they'll do for target practice while he's blindfolded so you're just sort of clicking through it's not even a mini game it's just a kind of like you're going from cover to cover 
trying to get to him to sort of, you know, avoid being shot. That is quite funny, though. Do you have to then subsequently wait for him to charge into a wall so you can hit him on the bomb? <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Um, but so it's just there are little touches like that that are kind of like, okay, it feels like there's there's a character here. It's just that the game itself doesn't seem to support it. It takes things that I think fit better in a in a more pared down environment and doesn't really do anything interesting with them. And then you've got a really frustrating deduction thing, which is just a screen that you bring up and little nodes hover about. You have to try and connect them. And once you've done a correct connection, it feeds you a new clue. And Hmm. it's all just, you know, different ways of trying to approximate your Sherlock Holmes-ness without you being left to do the deducting because presumably you as a deducing rather um because you as an actual human person wouldn't be able to because he's like this superhuman opium mm. fiend <laughs> you know <laughs> i love that it has like a uh sherlock holmes mind palace minigame <laughs> <laughs> so dark oh yeah and you can kind of go into like examination mode where like mm. you you can really stare at someone's clothes and click on like buttons and things oh, to this uh, has been great ever since Ale Noir though when you could just sort of pick up people's dead limbs and rotate yeah. them slowly in front of the camera <laughs> and like they tried to make it so that it wasn't only things that you could pick up that were clues and so you could just pick up an iron and stand there staring into space and twirling it around for like <laughs> 10 minutes with nothing happening so yeah i think i might quite like this game <laughs> even though it sounds awful yeah i think you should give it a go um it's yeah it's just one of those ones where you're like I appreciate what you're trying to do, but the interior design is probably the best thing about this. Mm. <laughs> that's a that's a fine sell for me. Was it better than, than the most recent series of Sherlock? I mean, yes, it's but the then lowest again, bar to, <laughs> to hop over, obviously. But... I think the lowest bar was the title of the third episode, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh. Um, Oh, what was it? I think that it's interesting because um, I I still just don't think there's an adequate way for people to play as a detective and feel like they're actually making deductions because you, you know, unless you're playing an actual puzzle game and just figuring it out for yourself, like Mm. in um, Stephen Sausage Roll or something fiendish like that, um, you're far better off being put in the role of Watson or the role of mm. Hastings in the case of Poirot, you know, because they are they are deliberately there as a stand-in for the audience, explaining mm. the the genius to everyone else. I think we may have had a conversation about this before, specifically in the context of Sherlock Holmes as well. Mm. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think like you know, one of the, the genius things about Eighty Days is that your passport too, um, yeah, and that I think is probably the, the you know, you should, you should, yeah, you should be Watson. You should have a little mini game where you comb Sherlock Holmes's hair to make him feel better or yeah. something. Like, yeah, you're better off in the, in the sidekick role, I think. Or, I mean, I think maybe we did this before, but uh, being um, like Inspector Legrasse. Lestrade. Lestrade, Lestrade. sorry. Legrasse is a Lovecraft thing. <laughs> um, and um, having to like follow him round doing real police work while he just makes stuff up and makes sort of vaunting guesses that are inevitably There is a game like that, isn't there, where you do the the more procedural elements of the thing. 
There's an old Police Quest game which is kind of that sort of thing. Mm. Right? Yeah, I'm mm. trying to think. Mm. It's an old X-Files game. <laughs> CD-ROM X-Files game. Oh, God. Which is all about paperwork and filling in paperwork <laughs> yeah. as Mulder and Scully. It's like, you want procedural? Do some procedure. Who do you... Who are you in that game? Are you Mulder and Scully? Are you I can't Mulder, remember. Which one of them? Because I was assume, like... Scully I couldn't does afford it because pa- it came out when I was a lot younger. And so it was like, I think it was about like 30 or 40 quid, like a proper like full boxed yeah. game. And I was like, I can't do that. I think it's the era when um, my parents used to take me, my brother and sister to like VHS rental stores. Remember those? Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd let us rent a couple of, you know, uh, X-Files DVD, uh, sorry, DVDs, uh, VHS's tapes. And that would be like dangerous. Like it would feel all kind of, you know, risky because we were like... 13, 14, whatever. <laughs> so um, it was. It came out at the time at which I was like peak interested in X-Files and uh, it was rubbish. <laughs> I, yeah, I think X-Files is another sort of mystery show that wouldn't work as a game where you played either of the main characters. Because if you play as Mulder, it's a game about making completely wild guesses that are invariably completely correct. That's quite is... accurate in terms of what game, like players of games do though. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's you, you try and game the mini game, don't you? Like the, you try and so in that Sherlock Holmes mini game, we have to draw lines. The you know most games just draw lines between everything, just yeah, in case. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what Mulder is doing all the time, obviously in the X Files. They only film the bit where he says the right <laughs> yeah, Exactly, they skip yeah. to the end. What but, if it was shoes? <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's Native American ghosts from a fair. Gra- nope, uh, it's alien it's the ghosts. The trees from a the cave. Trees. <laughs> Yeah. murderous trees yeah i mean but or if you play a scully and your job is to say the completely logical thing like i think this person was murdered like no i think his head fell off by itself <laughs> um and you're and you're just there to be completely incorrect every time hmm. um, but that's more the game like what games try and do they try and make you guess wrong things and then at the end they're like aha and you're like yeah i did guess this quite Actually, a long time ago i would totally play the option <laughs> i would totally play the the xcom ish x-files game where you played as skinner like the the fbi assistant director and your job is to like cover things up um try and retain your kind of shady relationship with whoever whatever like government man in black has sway over you at that time while also fundamentally being a good dad to your two you know agents that are always in like a pickle and there would be you know and that would be your equivalent of like a crisis or a situation on the XCOM map it would be like Mulder is trapped in a goat's body (laughs) (laughs) and then you have to assign quite like you know those episodes where things go a bit wrong and the FBI shows up at the end and kind of like bails them out Mm. yeah your job would just be to orchestrate those moments which Mm. yeah Yeah. I played that XFL game or like budget for Mulder's like bail yeah yeah basically just otherwise an fbi simulator which would be an interesting thing to have explain the miles on your car from when you went to pick up your reprobate agents from that like shady train station that time and you're like "Mm, why were you in nevada well mm." yeah like (laughs) you, you have to you have to run the fbi but the 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 kind of the complicating factor is you have these two rogue agents in the basement with like an infinite travel budget which they exclusively use to go to Vancouver <laughs> and um, LA at the, and LA in the later, and later seasons. Um, and, and just, you will occasionally be forced to do like shirtless fisticuffs <laughs> or like handcuff cry check to something is a mini game. Mm. I, I, I want to make this game. Yeah. 
Or you could play as Crycheck. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I want some approval from someone yeah. for God's sake. <laughs> the double eight, like you, uh, or yeah, a spy game where you play as a double agent who's literally not allowed to say no when <laughs> someone asks him to join their secret Illuminati society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, and also, like, he's, he's a weird kind of X-Files Uber service as well, so there would be a lot of, like, little driving missions. We need someone, yeah, you could do the, yeah, the, like, <laughs> Could the, you take the cigarette smoking man somewhere? <laughs> like, can you stand down mm. ominously next to his car, like, there's some connection there that we haven't established yet, but we'll write into a later season. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I want to be there, like, setting up the lighting simulator. Like, I put a green light in this car park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then pop out some smoke. Yes, that's maximum X-Files. <laughs> Oh, Pip, actually, you made a good point about the fact that you often guess what's happened, you know, what the fuck is going on really early, especially mm. if you watch a lot of kind of detective stuff anyway, which is like a perennial problem with all detective fiction mm. on television, in books. Uh, yeah. in, and it's especially a problem in games where it takes even fucking longer for it to get to the point. Uh, so, I mean, we've talked quite a few times on the podcast about why detective games just don't really work very well. And that's yet another kind of reason to add to the massive pile. Yeah. Like... I think with Life is Strange, I, I played the first episode, pronounced someone a wrong un, and then <laughs> was proven right over the course of five episodes. So I was mm, like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, if the drama's not going to... F- an episode of Jonathan Creek isn't necessarily going to fool you over the course of 90 minutes. Over the course of, like, 10 hours, a game <laughs> is not going to fool you, is it? Really? No. I think one thing that games... Um, do as well particularly and it's not like maybe a, a dedicated detective game but like an rpg that has a quest with a kind of detective whodunit thruster which a lot of RP, rpgs do mm. um oblivion has one um i believe you know w- dragon witcher age does. And, or the witcher and you know any any kind of rpg that has that as part of it mm. um th- there's a sort of common trope which is that there's always kind of the uber clue waiting to be found somewhere mm. And what that does is it renders the actual deductive process a little bit moot. It means that even though you can, especially those sorts of things, and, and there are detective games that work this way, where you're, you're kind of allowed to, like, say who you think did it at any time. Mm. Uh, but you only get one shot at saying it, so you've got to be right. And, and normally, like... Or, like, you say it, and then it's like, okay, well, what's the evidence to back it up? And you're like, well, I haven't gone to that bit because it's gated off at the moment, yeah. haven't I? Mm. <laughs> or, yeah, or you say it, but, you know, you kind of know, because you've played games like this before that there'll be that one thing that totally unlocks it for you mm. and so it, it puts off you, you you even though the probably the most fun those kinds of designs get is when you think you know but it could go a few different ways and you've actually got to take a little leap uh to get the rest of the way which makes it more like a detective makes you feel more like a detective um but more like i i think perhaps in order to make things sort of more accessible maybe or to fit with the logic of other, like the rest of a game like that you always end up finding out that if you just go that little bit further if you pass that extra persuasion check if you go to the locked basement or whatever it is you find the note that says it was jim <laughs> actually <laughs> or whatever to its credit a noir let you arrest the wrong people and charge the wrong people yeah. and send them to jail <laughs> Uh, which is great. That's kind of how that sort of game should work. If you're incompetent and you lock someone up incorrectly. If only it hadn't had those terrible chase sequences. And and the rest of the game. And yes, that was also a problem. Mm. And also the fact that it really tells you off for getting it wrong. But Mm. a lot of the time, like, it's really hard to reward the player in a detective game. Like, you you want to come out feeling like a genius that you put all the pieces together. But it doesn't feel like you've uh, achieved that if the game just tells you what all the pieces are. 
but it has to because yeah. that's the only way well, it can I think work with those the the uber clue they're trying to approximate that moment where like jessica fletcher looks at a bowl of grapes and suddenly goes i know who did it you mm. know and it's because something reminded her of a particular shape of i don't know jewelry and that that somehow you know like and it all comes out in the the denouement but you you know it's it's trying to sort of give you that but without you having any of the actual lightning bolt yourself it's you're given a lightning bolt wrapped up with a nice little ribbon on yeah also the point of that moment in like crime fiction is that it's a suspense it creates suspense for you because you still don't know what the fuck is happening like it's yeah it reinforces the fact that the detective is someone you should respect because they have this amazing mind um and also makes you question like okay when are you actually going to tell me then um whereas if, it, if that's reversed like as you're, you're right it's a completely artificial eureka moment it's just like well i, I joined the nodes in sherlock <laughs> holmes's mind palace and that's yeah. the equivalent of the revelation it's just not it's not the same would no. you prefer it if they did it more like um was it colombo where they would actually show you who done it and then the rest of it would just essentially be that you would watch this cat and mouse game mm. unfold and you'd be like how is mm. he going to catch him yeah. right? Rather than how, yeah. who did it? It was like a why done it. Yeah. Just, you know, who did it, you know, the circumstances. So it's more about like knitting the case together properly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I've always wanted like the cracker game where it's just, <laughs> you know, which is also why done it. Like you often get the people in a room very early in the episode and it's often just an hour of just hardcore drama where they just like tear each other apart yeah which is why it's fucking amazing television but as a kind of with an amazing conversation system that could be an interesting kind of video game Mm. Mm. yeah her story kind of does bit yeah actually yeah yeah that's probably actually yeah that's that that, i agree with that in fact i'd probably call that the best detective game i've ever played because that actually mm. did create moment eureka, eureka yeah. moments for me. yes absolutely and it lets you encounter things at your own pace in your own way and doesn't hold anything off yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was really cool good job her story I liked that yeah. mm. it's really good game. <laughs> um the opposite of her story is probably what you've been playing tom i mean uh, what i've been playing <laughs> as well to be fair the opposite of detective is sniping uh so i've been playing sniper elite four which everyone loves now. Uh, it's been like, it's an interesting third person, uh, sort of assassination games, which is increasingly being set in open world, sort of like open area environments, very large open levels, uh, which have gotten bigger and bigger as the series has gone on. But they've always been quite shonky, to be honest. Um, and now suddenly they seem to have just kind of just gone up a level in, you know, they've been making the same game for a while. And then suddenly this game, they seem to have the technology to create the sort of areas that they need to make the game work. And they've also perfected their uh, amazing <laughs> uh, watch a skull shatter into a million pieces tech that they've been iterating on for about three or four, three or four uh, mm. games now. They've got bollock cam as well, isn't they do it? That's what cam. they're really famous for, isn't it? Yeah, you, you could shoot the uh, Hitler's balls, famously, mm. uh, which I believe is DLC for this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one and... part of DLC, actually. <laughs> Indeed. Oh my goodness. It's... I, I, I kind of enjoy it in the sense that I enjoy uh, watching an eggshell smash against mm. the wall in the way they've they've tapped on something... Obviously hideous, but also incredibly fascinating about the way a bullet going through a body 
would break that body in many interesting and disgusting ways. It abstracts it, doesn't it, into this like strange performance in the way that because yeah there are all those slow-mo videos online of people shooting balloons or you know or eggs or you know um melons melons yeah. is the other like thing that people seem to spend their time doing um and it, it it's pretty it, harsh to melons <laughs> shut up <laughs> and it seems to become almost this like yeah like balletic kind of performance piece yeah it sort of procedurally generates a little cutscene uh for certain shots and uh, it'll zoom in on your sniper and it'll show the kind of bullet coming out of the gun and it will follow the bullet on its path which will be like you know 250 meters sometimes cross like open ocean over a different cliff into a villa into a guy's jaw and yeah. then as the bullet approaches um the victim it will kind of peel back the skin almost like x-ray vision you'll see the musculature and you'll see all the bones and you'll see the bullet going through the bones and just a kind of ripple of shattering flesh and bone coming out then you'll see jesus yeah you'll see the 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 crushed uh slug coming out the other side of the skull having deflected accurately off the spine or whatever and it's um uh it's like as i <laughs> describing it it's a really fucking hideous thing to model in a game but uh holy shit it's really satisfying <laughs> do you uh, think it's the like the sniper equivalent of the slow-mo and then ode to joy that you get in uh, peggle, peggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, it pe is it peggle the sniper equivalent uh... <laughs> like the payoff i mean it feels like it, it's that kind payoff. of like <gasps> you get the same oh. rush you get it does it, it it paces it really nicely like the pacing of the whole that whole sequence is really good um, because it sets it up and, you know, you've got the kind of drama of flying over. The, Does it do that if you miss? Um, because that no. would be amazing. That would be hilarious. <laughs> no, it doesn't actually. Um, I would honestly, I want to watch the one which ends with the bullet like whizzing into a room and then that's you going like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and it's like super slow motion or as like, it breaks a vase or something. Because Peggle does it when you've almost got in as, oh, uh, yeah. as well as if you do. So maybe if it like grazed your ball hair or mm, something. I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh, oh, hang on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, yeah. that wasn't a euphemism. That's a Peggle level. We've never played. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. So what are you doing other than this or, or is it just like a long distance shooting range or is it more like hitman it's more like, like hitman what? it's kind okay. of a stealth game really so you kind of there's a huge open level and you've got to get to there's a there are targets scattered throughout and each target is i've only played the first mission but i gather this is actually the format for most of them um each target is in like a mini sandbox that are all connected um so you go onto one island and on a beach there'll be an officer patrolling with various kind of there are explosive things you can shoot there obviously you can just shoot him there are periodically planes passing overhead and as they pass overhead if you shoot while that happens then your uh the noise of your shot is covered by the sound of the airplane so that's it's good to wait for that uh, so there's kind of like a simulation aspect to it in that respect and a lot of it is about like sneaking around and uh bringing up binoculars and tagging guards and you know once you do that you can see them through walls so all of this stuff is, is very kind of Far Cry meets Hitman, um, but with this just incredibly um, gory showcase of, you know, sniping. And that is what the game is about, really. It's not really... It, and it's a it's fine stealth game. Um, it looks quite nice, mm. uh, but it's actually about violence, 100% <laughs> about the violence <laughs> of shooting someone a half a kilometre away. 
and how that unfolds inside that person. <laughs> so there's is, a reason that that slow-mo cam is the thing it's known for. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that is the payoff. Like, And you just got to be honest about the fact that violence is entertaining. And kind of, it's interesting as to like why it doesn't feel sickening to me. Like if I watch someone getting shot on a video, like really, which as you, you'll see in war footage or whatever all the time, that is sickening. But it's almost like so cartoon and ridiculous. The fact that you kind of get, you see inside the person is just so ludicrous. Uh, and that it's such an obvious kind of physics simulation of it that it, again, that's an extra layer of just kind of theater. What? And it does just feel like a, a pretend thing, even though it's it, it, what it's depicting is horrendous. Well, to go back to what we were talking about earlier with regards to detective shows, that does feel like one of the things that they have in their arsenal of showing you how a crime took place is like, mm. in, especially in like forensic oh, stuff, they'll sometimes do yeah, the sure. actual sort of, here's the biological slow-mo <laughs> version of the thing that happened. Mm. And the fact that you have some sort of agency over how that happens and, you know, you you've got this kind of empty long mechanism where you press the space bar and you basically, everything goes into slow motion and you get a kind of predictive uh, reticule. Like there's loads of, it's quite semi in the sense that there is proper bullet drop and, and stuff like that, but not like wind, it's not like armor. Uh, and then, you know, you wait until it gets just the right point and you press the button. And <laughs> when you hit the person, it comes up with like a load of rewards as to how you shot them. Okay. So it would be like, eyeball shot or something and as the bullet goes you know through the eyeball it fucking explodes and all the liquid comes out the front it's it's fucking disgusting so horrible it's incredibly graphic is um absolutely brutal but i've i was just kind of like playing it at lunchtime and it's it's very not safe for work in normal work environments but i'm just going like yeah (laughs) i was like yeah i did it i hit a man in the eyeball yeah i got points woo it's funny (laughs) because thinking about it like of all of the, the, the parts of violence and, and that games do, sniping is the one that is, by default, if you did it completely realistically, the least graphic. Of all of the, the common ways of killing people that video games yeah, portray. And, and the most boring. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like you fire a shot and a man very, very far away falls over mm. and there's no It's like, certainly feedback. the least... Like it, it's, it's the opposite of melee. It's the yeah. one where you kind of aren't getting your hands dirty in some weird yeah. you know and, like mental and one of the play. like you know and, and you know other games do get drama <laughs> that you mentioned armor and mm. those armor and, and flashpoint in those games their atmosphere is built around that set you fire a shot a, a tiny speck of a man on a distant hill and he falls down and you don't really know what's happened so there is a sort of you know creative space to explore around that but it feels like they've gone the opposite direction and <laughs> figured out like compensating for the lack of feedback provided by the thing the game is actually about it's become about the absurd way they give you a payoff <laughs> yeah for the thing that you are doing and there is a kind of thrill to it like it's very good at letting you find a kind of sniping spot because they have these large open environments like you can find a little tower that's abandoned a kind of crumbling crumbling ruin and you'll go in there and you'll you'll lie down and you'll get your binoculars out and you'll scope it out and then you know you there's like the lead up to the shot and then the release. So there is that kind of satisfying gradual arc to it. That, You're Leon at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like in real sniping, there are people, there are spotters next to you and you, you pick a spot and you sit there for like 20 hours or something mm. under a, a sheet. <laughs> and <laughs> it's amazing how they've extrapolated that into this, <laughs> this kind of, 
happy-go-lucky getting a tower and shoot a man's jaw off <laughs> graphically uh, every every three minutes, pretty much. And it's like, it's, that's bad, isn't it? Is that bad? I don't, it doesn't feel bad. <laughs> it feels really good. Cause it seems like you're both like sensitive enough to not know that it's not real, but also utterly desensitized. Yeah, I think, I, I worry about that. I wonder that, I think video games desensitize you to video games. Yes, that's a good point. I think, I think you play enough and you kind of get used to what games do. But games are so fucking ridiculous and stupid yeah, compared yeah. to reality that it, it feels like I'm enjoying it. Some yeah. and some. Cause like, I was, so the reason that Sherlock came back into my mind was because I was writing about different apartments in video games. And one of the other ones that I mentioned, because I remembered seeing pictures of it, was um, the apartment that you get in Bioshock 2's multiplayer mode, Mm. just simply because it's a house under the sea. And I like that Mm. as an idea. But I very nearly quit out of that because I loaded it up and the first thing you see is a syringe on the floor. And I was like, no, <laughs> oh, hell no. Because <laughs> like, even in video games, that's one thing that I haven't managed to get desensitized to is just this visceral kind of revulsion at injections and needles. And so, yeah, like I can I can go around doing absolutely awful things with, with a lot of weapons, but needles, not one of them. <laughs> Maybe that maybe it's that you have that kind of real life reference. Whereas I've, I've never sat in a uh, a broken tower in Italy and uh, <laughs> shot a man's bollock off. So I'm not true. kind of tapping into a real world. Uh, so hang on. For that. To make you stop getting this weird pleasure out of video games, hmm. you would have to actually, actually maim it. a real person. Yeah, and then I'll be like, oh, actually, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. This is actually quite heavy. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's okay do. that you're just desensitized to some video games. I feel like it's, it's so like video games are so stupid, and especially like again the the Nazis are the villain again, and the video game Nazi is just the de facto the man you can doll kill. that you know you blow up, blow up. You know that's the human. Which it's is, okay to uh, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I mean that was the zombie basically, but yeah. you know zombies were sort of conceived as the kind of humanoid that it's okay to dismember. Yeah, and that logic definitely applies to Nazis in video games. Um, and it's that is disturbing, in a way. There's still people that you, you, you're wounding. Obviously, they're not real people, but I mean, no. you know what I mean. Like, the, the representation mm. is... By going... applying that label, you excuse suddenly, mm. like, a huge sort of swathe of what is, acts. I, I assume there's, like, a narrative or something, kind of, it's hung off, even if it's just mission briefings and things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what is the tone of that? Because, like... Like, it's a very different game, but Wolfenstein The New Order has very graphic violence and um, aimed at Nazis, hmm. but makes a sort of joke about it in a way. Like, it's so cartoonish that it's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a clearly heightened reality, so the clearly heightened nature of the violence feels, like it's like, it's it fits the that. world it's in. It's not like crazy violence, but in the real world. Hmm. It's not, uh, it's nothing like The New Order and the, it's not actually explicitly making jokes and cracking wise. And yeah. uh, what the new order does, it kind of, it catches all that stuff in like American action, eighties action cinema stuff. Mm. Like a lot of the wisecracking and the internal uh, monologue stuff just comes from that type of, um, that type of media. Whereas with this, it does feel elevated and it is cartoonish and just quite bright. Just simply in the art direction, the way the colors pop out and the way that people are modeled. It is cartoonish to an extent. It looks sort of realistic, but basically it is. 
and the all the kind of tutorials you get are literally cartoons that are drawn in just a kind of 40 style <laughs> here's the bollock pretty much yeah it's just like they show like a little cartoon of a man lying down it's like this will improve your your aim uh, as you shoot a man's kind of ear hole off um yeah uh, so it does a little bit of that but not the extent of the new order no i can't, I, I find it hard to pin down why i don't care uh, that uh, why, why i don't like feel bad about um mm. I mean, not you, you should feel bad, obviously. Were you bothered by the new Mortal Kombat games? Because uh, they had X-Ray, Skeleton, Bacon as well. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it bothered I can't, me. But I don't know why. It, bother, it, it bothered me, and I think the reason it bothered me in the Mortal Kombat games, enough to that put me... Like, I quite liked them, but I preferred Injustice when it came out because that just had ludicrous superhero violence rather than yeah. actual skeleton breaking, is a lot of it felt quite cruel... Hmm. I'm not saying it's not cruel to shoot a man's bollocks off from 500 <laughs> meters away. That's not what I'm saying. But like the nature of like a Mortal Kombat fatality was you have somebody who's kind of already out and then you kill them in this absurd way. Like you throw a hat at their neck and it saws their head off slowly and, and kind of like mad shit like that. And it felt really off-putting because I'm, maybe I'm just a big wuss. But I, I'm trying, I am trying to, I'm trying to pin it down as well. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say yeah. that in that case, there are kinds of violence that feel more safe in cartoony ways, like a sort of an overtop punch that that absolutely splatters somebody feels very different to a slow, deliberate dismemberment feels, mm. or like a you know, like there are particular acts of violence that come across as like more deliberate or more sadistic than yeah. others and i think that that has <laughs> an impact but i think that there's also sort of um ways of presenting it that then become more about like the showmanship of of the art direction or the camera or you know that kind of stuff and mm. so it it's it sort of isn't really about a human doing violence to another human it's suddenly about like have you perfected this thing yeah you know? actually i think that's right like because i think crucially in the after the, in the moment you met you fire the successful shot and it begins the cutscene. you're kind of no longer the sniper you're the player or the viewer you know what i mean like mm. as a complicated relationship with who you are really yeah because that whole sequence isn't for the the player character's benefit yeah because that is just a man lying down somewhere who doesn't yeah. see any of this yeah well, I like, was going to say, because like when we when you were saying about like being the sniper, usually you don't get to see the result of the action because you're kind of so you're the sniper at some points, but you're also the the hapless third person in the in the room of the victim, you know, third party. Yeah, rather, you maybe know, that's like, I don't know. Maybe that's a bit. This is too sudish, sudish, but maybe that's the reason you don't feel as grossed out by it because you kind of didn't do it really like you just steer the sniper man you fire the shot and then you get shown a video of something mad happening yeah but when it actually happens like i'm like yeah i shot that guy's jaw off i'm not moralizing at all about this which is i just think it's quite interesting kind of uh what uh i find disgusting what i don't find disgusting and why yeah. i really enjoy this game and don't mm. enjoy other games and you know uh I don't. I'm not at all saying that people are like bad people for enjoying this stuff at all. It's just interesting to think about, isn't it? Like what what barriers um, 
the game doesn't cross somehow. <laughs> I think it's for just very different experiences because, for example, if it made you go and like discover the body and like you know had like you know suspenseful music playing and sort of a sad kind of this is who he was kind of thing. <laughs> right. If as the bullets that's... flew through the air, it showed you snap flashbacks to the guy's life. <laughs> mm. That's very different to this kind of Peggle esque kind of thing that's designed to stroke your kind of satisfaction yeah. gland. They do feel like kind of game units even though they're, they're modeled on humans they do feel like uh just uh pinatas basically mm. pinatas That's with exactly bollocks it is. yeah bollock pinatas that you can burst from <laughs> half a kilometer away <laughs> the burstable nazi bollock pinata <laughs> yeah they are that's it good they're, alternate they're name for the game that's exactly what it is oh <laughs> so grim it's obviously <laughs> you're more grossed out by the notion of a bollock exploding than we are well, I mean, like, more like the bollock piñata, because oh. I'm just picturing it hanging from the ceiling. That's, that's as the worst well. birthday party ever. <laughs> Grim sort Come of... Come in, children. <laughs> God. Pink, inflated sack full of, like, sort of mini Snickers bars. It's disgusting. <laughs> nuts it is. in your nuts. Uh, yeah, there's no getting around that. Yep. <laughs> May contain nuts. Yeah. What Oof. have you been playing, Chris? So I've I've been playing something that's also gory but a very different range i've been playing a lot of for honor um which i believe i've spoken about on the podcast before uh when i because i've been playing in the alpha and beta tests of the game since it began um it's very much a me game in that it is a sword fighting simulator ish obviously it's the own logic bit um a sword fighting dueling game uh by ubisoft um which has a pretty deep uh, combat system and builds that combat system out into a variety of multiplayer modes and a single player single player campaign and i you know the, i signed up for the beta program about midway through the game's unveiling at e3 a couple of years ago when it was revealed because like i saw it um i saw jason vanderberg who is the kind of the king of swords that they roll out to he's the lead designer but like you know they, they was it last year it was the year before i think because I think we were sat on the sofa while you signed up. No, maybe. it was the year before. Oh, I okay. think my PC. I think they showed it last year, but it was announced um. formally the year before. Um, and I, I might be completely wrong about that. Time just fly. But um, I think you're right. I played it at E3, so it was already well along by then. Right. Um, and um, and so I've already been on a bit of a journey with it. But like, so it came out this week, and I've been playing loads of it. Um, so I'm doing lots of writing about it for Games Radar and. It, I really, really like it. And I've gone through a bit, I've gone through ups and downs as I often do with competitive games. Um, but I think, I think they've made a genuinely good, sort of deep, complicated, um, rewarding to uncover fighting system. And I think it is a fighting game at its heart. And I think one of the, the, the things that For Honor will struggle with is I don't know how big the audience for like a, a properly a properly deep fighting game actually is if you know what I mean like, obviously everyone plays a little bit of Street Fighter or, or whatever but and there are plenty of people on those ladders but launching a new game in that category is is tough and um, convincing people to stick with something with such a high skill ceiling is also tough because it's I I, I think it will be very punishing for for new players to get into I suspect. 
Um, I and it's been interesting because I think they've they've done a decent job with the matchmaking in that when I play now I tend to have pretty close games. Um, the first couple of games I had when I had a freshly wiped account were totally one sided, and I felt or a couple of them were, and I felt a bit bad for the genuinely new players who are encountering waves of beta and alpha test sort of veterans coming into this thing. Um, but now that it's sort of evened out, I think there's such a cool game um, to discover there. And so uh, I, might, I might talk a little bit about the single player as well, but I really like the kind of game that is emerging around the, the, the combat system and not only the depth and the technical complexity, but actually the social stuff it encourages. Because I've talked about Blade Symphony before and I've played a lot of Blade Symphony. And the reason I ultimately loved Blade Symphony wasn't just, here's a sword fighting game. It was because you played that on dueling servers where you would queue for matches and between matches you would wait for your turn and you would seek out people at the same rank as you because it was only by defeating people at the same rank that you could go up. And when you're in that situation, you inevitably start talking to people and you start building friendships and you start learning from people and people explicitly start teaching you and and the and the game uh develops an unspoken code of conduct like an actual honor system uh that people either adhere to or don't and one of my concerns with for honor was like i associate that very much with jedi knight and with blade symphony and those are games that have cult followings they're pretty niche they they're either mods or based on mods or, you know, the kind of multiplayer game, multiplayer component of a game that wasn't really designed for that specifically. And that is the environment I associate with these kind of intimate communities. We will actually talk to each other and we don't live in an age now where you make friends on, on your online games, really like not outside of MMOs or specifically niche games. When I was young, you did. You went online and you made friends with the people you happened to be on a Team Fortress server with because there were only like 60 people playing Team Fortress at that time. <coughs> now that everything is a gigantic service and it's just intended to roll you into the next game with the next group of strangers, you don't stop to build relationships. And often the way those games are played, the way Overwatch is played or Call of Duty or anything, doesn't tell you anything about your opponent. You don't come away with it feeling like you know them as a person so much as you just had a game against them. Um, Dota is a rare example of a game that I think can do this. And mobiles maybe maybe can more often as well. Um so long story short, For Honor, as it because it is a Ubisoft game, because it has had the big marketing push and they've they've spent a lot of money pushing it out because I think it's pretty niche and they've got to sell, sell, sell it. I wasn't expecting it to mimic any of that. I was expecting my you know, I'd queue for a duel, I'd duel whoever it gave me, I'd move on, I'd think about the things I think about in any other competitive game, my MMR and, and my rewards and my unlocks and stuff. But actually, um, even in the live game, that has survived. And I find that really, really interesting. So um, today, on two different occasions, I have been in a duel and a one-on-one, which is a, like a one-on-one -on -one best of three um well best of five actually so it's first to three um and the other guy will 
like say something complimentary or say something critical but in a, in a constructive way because like i know for, so for example like so the, the combat system is is sort of directional and also like heavy and light attacks and there are 12 different characters and they each fight in a different way and i won't go into all the intricacies of it but once you've gotten used to that idea there are techniques above that that you need to know to be good at the game but new players won't do necessarily um which are like parries and um, which are kind of skill-based ways of blocking which is normally easy but like extra blocking um to push someone away uh there's feints where you cancel out of a heavy attack to try and mislead someone about which direction you're actually going to attack from and there's um guard counters or guard break counters where you prevent yourself from being grabbed by immediately counter grabbing at the right time and i'm pretty good at parrying i'm um I can faint semi-reliably and I'm fucking terrible at guard break counters. And now I'm getting into these duels where I'm getting matched against people. And this is credit to the matchmaking who kind of understand about the same amount that I do about the game, but have their own sets of strengths and weaknesses. And this would normally be a fluke, but within, within 10 duels, I've had two different people say that was a great parry, but are you struggling with guard counters? And then offer to use a round of the duel to just stand there and throw guards, guard breaks at me. To practice them. And the first time I took the guy up on it and it really helped. The second time I was like, no, nah, I'm in a hurry. I'm, let's, let's just fight normally. Um, but like, that wasn't me asking a friend because I've, I've, I've practiced with friends, but that wasn't me asking a friend like, Hey, can you just throw this move at me? I want to practice countering it. That was a rando on the internet saying, Oh wow, that was a really great parry. But you know, the moment this is the thing that's weak about what you're doing. Um, or like saying like, can I practice this particular combo on you and see how you get around it? And like, you know, in thousands of hours of, of Dota or anything else, you just don't see that. And I don't know what it is about fighting games or maybe even sword fighting games that spur that in people, but it's mega. Like when it happens, you like, it's the rare example of coming away from a game you lose thinking that was great. It's far shorter. That's one of the big things I would say. I mean, obviously like, if you're going for a full best of five, that's going to take a chunk of time, but it's not an hour long match where you can just ask someone to give up a particular like five minutes of it to p potentially give you the advantage. Mm, and it's not. And it doesn't affect four other people. Yeah, it's not a team game. It wouldn't work. You know, obviously you don't see that in any of the team modes. Um, and you don't see it in. Um, I guess you don't see it in most one-on-one -on -one games because they're not, they just don't sort of support that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but, um, and, and maybe because most fighting games are traditionally console games, they don't have like in-game chat in the same way that allows you to quickly and easily express, Hey, have you considered mm. working on this? But nonetheless, I think there's something special about a game that can create those kinds of moments between people. And that sort of branches out into like, those are specific people I think who have the right attitude, but it's been really interesting to watch like more broadly the game develop like, an honor system like in a game called for honor um where i think that title is intentionally ironic um there is like it's not an unspoken code of conduct because a lot of people pride themselves in violating it but there is a sense that for example throwing people off stuff and into spikes and into lava and off ladders and that kind of thing even if that gets you an instant kill from which they can't be revived by their teammates in the sort of no respawn modes, that's kind of considered by some, some people consider it lame. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. It's considered like dishonorable. It's considered uncouth. It's it, it's like you show more respect to your opponent. If you don't throw them off when you could, and you instead do something else hmm. like that's the sort of like 
you kind of you can grab someone by a ledge and, and in that point there's nothing that they can do to stop you if they fail to counter it by that point they cannot stop you just throwing them to your de- their death but if you then like flip them around behind you spin and re-engage them that's the kind of like i could have had you there and i didn't <laughs> play mm. um and there's also like a um in the 2v2 mode where you essentially have two separate duels happen but it is a full free 2v2 if you want to flee from your duel and go and gang up on the other guy you can do that there is another unspoken rule that i see adhered to remarkably frequently that you duel the opponent you're given and then if your teammate is still dueling their opponent you wait and you're kind of their second at that point so if Mm. they fall you then step in and so if your teammate dies you have to duel both people but the vast majority of people even though there's nothing in the game to explicitly encourage this will wait and let the other person go first and that is kind of just manners it's just people have decided that it should work that way and when people break it it is like a like a face heel turn it is this kind of like um like people will maybe agree either in chat or silently that this is going to be a no environmental kills game but then they'll get two two games down and they're on match point and suddenly (laughs) it's like that's when you go for the i'm sorry i'm going to shoulder charge you off this into the sea play and that changes the tone of the game because then they pull one game back but then all of the bets are off and there is no honor anymore and every, all i think collapses and that is i think why i really like like it so much because beyond just i think it's a good combat system and everything else it's those kinds of like dramatic kind of human things that make it so cool and there's loads more to it like you can do these silly little emotes and a lot of them are like cheers like ah and wave my sword in the air or whatever but you can spam them in dumb ways that kind of reset the animation so there's a lot of ways to make your character do crotch thrusts basically <laughs> like if any move starts with someone like pulling a sword out with like a kind of hip uh, motion you would get the real reason that you like this chris yeah <laughs> you can sort of stand you can spin in a circle going ah 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 and like all of that is considered a bit bad manners as well like especially if you do it prematurely mm. but the best thing about that um, and this is, uh, you know, uh, Andy Hamilton wrote uh, a cool thing for, for BC Gamer about why bad manners can sometimes be the best thing that happens in the fighting game scene when it's not people aren't getting hurt, but it's just trash talk mm. is it creates drama and it creates villains that can be overthrown or yeah. literally thrown into the sea in Toronto. Mm. And that is right. Like you, you watch wrestling, Tom, you know kind oh, yeah. of what that is, right? Like why it should work that way. Why players, why it's so cool when players develop these social codes that can because explicitly it then gives you heroes and villains mm. but in a way that isn't the heroes and villains of a dota game where the hero is the one person being nice to you and the villain is the person saying the most offensive thing you have ever heard you know it's not that it's like mm. i can't believe that guy threw me in the sea after we agreed not to fuck it i'm i'm gonna throw him in the sea and then that is and that's the greatest story ever told it's the story of two men trying to throw each other in the sea I think what I like about it so far, based on what I played, is that um, there's definitely kind of a lot of depth to the combat system, but without requiring the sort of combo knowledge and just intense expertise that um, like 2D fighting games demand mm. from properly competitive players. I feel like I, I, I'm at a point where I could just wade into matchmaking and get destroyed, but we'd both be fundamentally working with um understandable skill sets yeah like that everyone has three directions of guard everyone has the ability to parry encounter and obviously the movesets differ in terms of the combos that people can do and the timing of certain attacks and the range based on the weapons but that fundamental bedrock of you know what every 
fighter you know the number of moves every fighter has available to them yeah it's about the same. Is, is there isn't it yeah, yeah it's pretty much the same like all of the all of like the major divergence happens at the level of above beginner intermediate ish so there are characters that can't cancel hmm. but that is the kind of thing you do not give a twinkly shit about sure. when you start um and there are characters that can deflect but which is a sort of a different way of thinking about a parry and um sort of dodge parry um and so but that you don't have to get mind about that you're right the the logic of it is consistent, consistent. Yeah, it is consistent and and even stuff like deeper parry systems which a lot of fighter games have especially stuff like guilty gear um it's still that fundamental combo button memory stuff that for honor doesn't necessarily requ- demand of you that mega fighting games like really in-depth fighting games do mm. um so th- that is what would tempt me into it i think what would put me off about it is the kind of microtransaction stuff that seems to be uh woven throughout the game so it's like the silver you can pay for and there just seems to be loads of kind of currencies and stuff and as soon as i see all that stuff i'm like whoa it's needlessly complicated right. and i think they've made some dumb decisions so mm. if you um if you go to the the character screen not the character well either the character select screen or the one where you can just dip into like customize your characters or equip gear or whatever mm. you will see three characters uh the three sort of vanguard characters for every faction are there and then next to them is every other all other nine characters and they each have uh not recruited underneath them in in uh, like a yellow bar uh, and that doesn't mean anything <laughs> right you can select any of them you can oh, play right. as anybody they're okay. not locked you pay um silver which is currency you can either buy or you earn quite a lot of it by playing um to recruit them which means you can then customize their gear and their look right and customizing gear is important for certain modes but not for others like if you all you want to play is duel where gear doesn't matter if you don't care what you look like there is nothing stopping you accessing everything in the game straight away really unclear (laughs) it's very very unclear to the point that like i went through like two beta tests before i realized that oh that doesn't mean locked that means not i mean if you mouse if you if you mouse over it it will tell you exactly what it is Hmm. but i don't it relies on players reading tooltips to discover that things aren't bullshit right which is a mistake it, it, this feeds into my other problem with the game which is ui like uh, it's classic ubisoft kind of over uh just too much shit on the screen and it's, mm. it's not as bad as other ubisoft games but even just for, for a medieval fighting game like th- obviously you need brackets to show what's going on there but i don't need like all the other crap for, like every corner has to have something in it in a yeah. ubisoft game just uh, trim all that down you just it's so in annoying <laughs> i think it does a good job of placing all of the really essential information on the center of the screen and around the characters yeah. which means you're always looking at your opponent not at a corner of the ui to see something big yeah. like your health bar or i do agree with that like i think that's good i think it gets that's more pronounced in other modes where mm-hmm. like in the objective modes and things where there are mini maps to consider and power up locations and things like that um I think it front loads a lot of information and it's just stuff I didn't know for ages. Like I wrote a guide today for games radar and it's not necessarily like the fighting stuff. Like some of the stuff is like things I have learned through hours and hours and hours and hours of duels. But a lot of it is like stuff I had to have explained to me 10 hours in because I didn't realize it worked that way. Like you can get like loot chests that have gear in them, um, but you don't open the chest. There's no chest opening page. There's a salvage page for each character, and that's where you open chests, even though those are two different, completely different metaphors. And what's in the chest depends on which character you salvage it with. Right. Um, and so you can either spread your chest between multiple different characters that you like or invest it all in one character, which is a fine idea. I like the idea of not having, like, you know, I'd love it in yeah. Overwatch if you could choose which character you're opening a chest for so you don't just get, like, 
or something for a character you don't ever play. Mm. But holy shit, like they've both mixed their metaphors and created a system that uses some of the vocabulary of the way these games always work, but employs it in a completely different way and doesn't really explain that. Right. And that's salvage a chest yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You salvage you salvage a chest. Yeah. To get for find things. <laughs> And so, like, that stuff, I, I won't defend. Like, hmm. I think it's fine now, but I had somebody go on, you know, Discord when I was playing it with friends. Oh, that's how that works. Hmm. And, yeah, I think maybe it relies on the... Because, the, like, the stupid thing about it is, I think in terms of, like, what new players need with a game like this, they have given a really strong set of tools. Because the bot AI is actually good yeah. and will teach you things. Um, you can play against AI with friends online and get achievements for that and get all the XP and stuff with that and you get all the rewards and everything you could want. You can um, play and then you can you can enter like an infinite practice mode and you can also, you also have like a full kind of match creator to create custom matches against bots which you can completely configure um, in order to get a practice environment that suits the exact thing you want to practice. So like I want to practice against the best AI with this one character because I struggle and I'm just going to do that mm. for 99 rounds and just practice and practice and practice, which is the kind of like old school kind of granularity that a lot of games and services don't do anymore. It's uh, stuff that Street Fighter does though. That's why yeah. you've got that heritage is there in the problem yeah. fighting game heritage. But it's great, you know, but like great. Street Fighter doesn't, but like, uh, like Overwatch doesn't. Sure. Yeah. Really? Like, in, like given you maybe put this somewhere on that between those two things. Mm. Um, and the single player campaign, which, uh, so I've, I've finished the first, I, I guess I'm a third of the way through it, uh, cause I finished the knights. Oh yeah. Which is the first section. Um, that's kind of, there's a, there's a story. It's weird. Kind of, it's, it's okay. Like all of the, they hired really good voice actors. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll listen to Jennifer Hale talk about war. Yeah. That's, you know, cool. Um, if you pick a, if you pick the, a, like a female warden at the start, you get to determine the, the gender of one character. Then, uh, for a game about big people hitting things, it does pass the Bechdel test. So there's that going for it. Um, and, um, but like it is pretty linear and it's good because the, it's only good because the combat system is good. It would otherwise be the most five or six out of ten action game ever on yeah. its own. It's probably a seven. Um, but- just only because the combat system is really good. I like the combat system. I still think there's, I thought this when I played it like last year, that, um, it's very hard to determine the difference between a mook and someone you're supposed to lock onto and have properly dual. And a lot of that stuff is just. I'd be interested if you still feel that way. Cause like the guys yeah. you're supposed to lock onto are like a head, two heads taller than everyone <laughs> right, else and have, sim- and have a symbol over the heads. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's going to help. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to, to be a mook in that world. If you're born <laughs> yeah. a mook, you're going to get fucked up by a magic knight. I love the idea that it would be a kind of Dynasty Warrior style um, mixture of hero battling and uh, kind of grunt clearance. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the kind of the... You've got lock-on combat with heroes, but um, locked off just kind of button-mashy combat against mm. mooks. And those two things I found just don't go together well at all. Like being locked onto a hero, and then also being surrounded by yeah. little dudes—it just doesn't. It feels horrible. Like it feels really it's actually, sticky and clunky. It's kind of. Su- so this is a weird thing they've done. It's kind of supposed to. Hmm. You're supposed to not want to fight in in their line. Okay. And so, like a legit thing to do in in the in the multiplayer modes that have loads of mooks is to grab someone and throw them into your line hmm. because then it's really fucking hard because they're getting bogged down by shit tiny men. Hmm. So. 
I, get, I agree it doesn't feel good. I think there's a degree to which that's deliberate. Like, every character, if you press both attack buttons, does a huge sweep and knocks everyone around them back. Right. Which is, that. that is the, the point of it. That is the counter to that. It's yeah. like the, I'll do the expensive stamina draining AOE to make myself some space, but I've, you know, forced them to do that, so they counter with the thing, and, you know, video games. But yeah, no, broadly, like, this is where you're coming from. Like, it has, it goes... Uh, it very much feels like an introduction. It feels like a um, Street Fighter arcade mode. It, it introduces you to the different characters, okay. one after the other. That's yeah, kind that's of cool. what it's there for. That's cool. It makes you play as most of the different characters for a given faction and then moves on to the next one yeah. and against them as well. So mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, there's a big boss and he does some things that the actual Warlord class can't do, but he's fundamentally the Warlord class. So some of the things you learn will directly carry over into multiplayer from an actual boss battle in the single player campaign, which is a kind of nice. That's nice. Yeah, know. that is nice. It looks amazing as well. I love the way it looks. Mm. It's so, I mean, they've, it is this kind of, um, I don't know, the way they've distilled warrior archetypes into these kind of gritty environments feels like, was like kind of adolescent fantasy, but it's so awesome. It feels like, yeah, <laughs> it feels like, uh, a, like, a sort of a bit of a weird high concept for a comic book. It's very comic yeah. booky, I think, and it's sort of like, it's comic book history. And, where, the, like, you know, <laughs> it's the armor. They've taken the most ornate armor, like, that, probably never genuinely forged by no. any of these factions and if you're wearing it you can't climb a ladder really quickly. <laughs> that's right but uh, nonetheless i think they've, they've done a great job of kind of pinning down a, a very cool aesthetic for yeah them. and the animation's phenomenal as yeah, well like one is, thing yeah. i would say for those you know infinite mook killing moments mm. is the animations chained together beautifully like, yeah for sure. it, it looks like game of thrones um when people are going at it yeah um, just like running as soon as she starts to run and you're carrying a longsword like uh, the character just moved the longsword to their left hand and they'll kind of carry it. Yeah. So it's like a suitcase, but which sounds stupid, but it's just, <laughs> it's like a really incidental bit of animation that looks amazing. Mm. And just climbing ladders in that game is a joy. Like so many games fuck up ladders and that game is just, it glues you to it just when you want it to. The animation is seamless. It looks beautiful. And um, it does something like a lot of 2D fighting games rely on a lot of effects to oh, yeah. communicate impact. Um, and this has effect to communicate things like unblockable strikes and things, uh, which can actually be parried, which are, is a weird thing people miss out on. Um, but like when you, like when a good fight happens, it actually isn't really big on the crazy effect. Mm. Like a cool fight ending actually feels like you can, like I hit record on Shadow Play quite a lot because you get those moments that just look mm. great. Like, you do a, a great parry, but while you're blinded, so you had to kind of guess the direction and like that, you know, chains into a grab and a push and then into like one of the execution animations, which can be pretty grisly, but feel like a kind of maybe a bit like the sniper elite thing, like a cathartic payoff for a tense process yeah. is that final moment where release, yeah. you, you perform like the execution, which is only available if you've kind of finished a fight with a heavy. So well, basically most of the time. Um, and like, yeah, it's, just sounds super cool and yeah i do like it a lot do you like it a lot looking forward to playing it yeah yeah i'd like i i think i'll I'll probably evangelize it a little bit more eventually inevitably because i do think it's got real chops but definitely not gonna be for everybody definitely not gonna be for everybody just because it's it makes the job of getting into its good bits and needlessly (laughs) complicated yeah hmm Shall we do questions from questions? Yes. You're going to have to edit that down. No, I don't. Uh. I could even extend it in the edit. Uh. 
A little bit longer, just to annoy you, Pip. Well, I don't listen. I don't listen to what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not even listening now. So, <laughs> with plausible deniability. <laughs> I was in the room, I just wasn't. The best thing about that mm. is the people who listen to this now will never know if I shortened or extended the pause. True. That's very true. Kind of deep when you think about it. No, it isn't. Isn't it? No. Okay. Shall we do make questions? Your, make your own mind up no. at home. No. Don't give this a second more thought. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Let's do questions. First up, Drew writes, which games are your backburner games? Games that you keep going back to, for example, Overwatch, Destiny, World of Warcraft, etc. I like Diablo. I'll play Diablo 3. I'll go back when there's a new season. They put in little incremental rewards every now and then. Yeah. Periodically starting a new character. That's nice. I like me some hex cells, some oh, yeah. pie cross, those kinds of things. Bit of the old clash. Bit of it, but that's more just because I'm in a cycle of rewards and, you know, as soon as I forget about it or as soon as I skip enough on the go that it stops sending reminders, then that'll be done and dusted. I was the same with... Um, abyssrium which is now they so it's a, a kind of a tapping game which is the mobile equivalent of a clicking game and so they called it abyssrium it's you know you just earn fish by tapping things um which obviously aimed at me um but now they've just called it tap tap fish I was like, <laughs> did oh, they seriously well, rename I mean, it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's definitely a cycle yeah. of life for <laughs> game names, isn't it? The first the first mistake is I named my game after a really common word associated with the word game mm. that you, you can't Google. For example, volume. Well, that's not going to work. So I'm going to rename it something kind of Latin sounding. Exterium. And like, oh, no one's buying that. I'm going to call it Pokey Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so those kinds of things, really. Mm. Maybe a bit of an adventure capitalist. But, like I say, as soon as the things stop sending me reminders regularly, mm. or as soon as I get annoyed with those reminders and turn them off, I'm done. Mm. <laughs> That's my life cycle of the game. <laughs> For me, it's always, like, whatever multiplayer game I'm playing at the moment. So it's been Overwatch recently. Um, it will be For Honor for the foreseeable future i imagine um because all of those games fit into less time than dota and on balance make me less cross um so yeah uh i haven't been back to destiny for a long old time i think it's finally broken its spell over me well i know it's finally broken its spell over yeah me. same here it was one one disappointing mm. expansion was all it really took yeah and also just destiny 2 being on the horizon yeah well, the worst thing they could have moving said. in as well, because it used to be one of the ways that we kept in touch yeah. when we were kind of far away. And now I'm sort of in the next room. It's slightly less. Yeah. <laughs> less of a you don't value have to have point. a space adventure. Mm. I do miss the space adventures, but yeah, I don't really have like an MMO or anything at the moment. Yeah. I have House of Many Doors as well. Mm. I, I did go back to it in the end, and I am enjoying sort of going through it, but it's more of a doing a quest here or you know a bit of voyaging there because now that the bugs have been fixed because i completely restarted and i think most of the bugs haven't manifested so now i don't have infinite money hmm. <laughs> which is like oh, 
damn it. Damn. <laughs> so now I have to actually be a bit more careful with my uh, with my fuel consumption, which is a problem. Oh no. George writes, when you eat a Jaffa cake, chocolate side up or chocolate side down? Up. Up. Then I'll nibble around the edges, uh, excluding the little jammy centre, and then I'll one-shot that, just like right into the... Um, up. Oh eat the eat the edges, then carefully bite the entire cake base off, mm-hmm. leaving only the surface chocolate and orangey centre, and then... Let that melt on your tongue. And you have the nerve to criticise how I eat chocolate. When have I done that? All the time. Is there a special... Especially the Oreos. I'll just sit there nibbling at them and making mm. it last for like an hour. It it is... I mean, it is very funny. I'll say that. Mm. (laughs) You make it last. Like you're preparing for winter. I don't make Jaffa cakes last. I will just, like, I mean, you know, this person has not offered the option for two at a time, which is, you know, my preferred That's very rude of them. Jaffa vector. I mean, I nearly choked uh, to death on Jaffa cakes because I had a really bad cold. Well, I had flu, and I was just getting better from flu. And so I bought myself a packet of Jaffa cakes to cheer myself up. But I was so congested that I couldn't breathe and eat at the same time. But I was wolfing down so many Jaffa cakes that I ended up like <laughs> nearly <laughs> suffocating myself by accident. Let's be honest, Pip, it's how you would have wanted to go. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that that would have been like the, the main point of my obituary, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Very well. So the next uh, question is from Connie. Uh, who confused me a bit by beginning her email thusly. Hi, Connie. <laughs> nice. Very reflective email. Yeah, it is. It, uh, I guess we're Connie now. We're uh, all Connie. Yeah. I've been desensitised by consuming too much internet, and horror games don't scare me anymore. I get jump scares from real life, caused by things like opening an email with a huge electricity bill in it, or just reading the news. However... I'm perfectly happy to get into the role of an elf with a magic sword who makes a living being a psychotic thrill-seeker and who never goes to the toilet because those don't exist. Are there any genres or settings which you find just too silly or too unlikely to play? Also, is bread the opposite of toast? Many harpy pods. Connie. So, uh, she's now Connie again, and we can go back to being us. Interesting. Hmm. So, uh, Tom, you, you, your view on this is that there aren't really settings that are too far out now right like no i mean when we're just uh briefly going over these questions not that we prepare anything <laughs> but um yeah just if you think back to what games used to be like where it was perfectly acceptable in a 2d platformer for the main characters to be m&ms or whatever the fuck <laughs> then you know games used to be just mad i mean i remember playing zool yeah and the first boss was uh called mental block and it was just a very, very angry square that would bounce around the place. And it like games. And used he was a ninja, be... and there was chopper chops branding yeah, everywhere. There was chopper chops everywhere. <laughs> there was a key platforming element. And in Zool 2, there was a dog that had two heads. And then you played Breakout, and in between levels, it was just games used to be mental. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to love Tearaway Thomas, which was just uh, a game about a very, very fast bipedal dog. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff you'd run into. That's why you changed your name to Tom, wasn't it? <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, 
uh, games have relatively stayed now. Like, uh, I think games are such an investment now, they tend to just be extensions of existing genre fiction, where it's obviously, oh, we're going to do a low fantasy game like The Witcher 3, or we're going to do uh, a kind of Star Trek game like Mass Effect. And games will, like, those games are good, and they'll find interesting ways to... Uh, put their own spin on it but you're not going to encounter anything that's totally crazy I think these days you know at least a big budget game no or it doesn't sort of make it out of the preview stage like I played a game in preview called Loading Human and it was supposed to be this sort of VR exploration of possibly alzheimer's and some of it was interesting and there was like some sort of interesting use of theatrical kind of ideas to um to get you to experience particular i guess emotions or you know parts of the narrative but there was also the part where you drag your dead lingerie clad wife's body across a room and up to a second floor to um shove her hand onto a handprint scanner to activate a door and you're just like art uh, mm, art mm." Art. (laughs) and so there's a certain amount of like not only is it silly but it's also bad and offensive and dumb Mm. and so you're kind (laughs) of like okay well uh and so that that I think that that version of the game got scrapped and and mm. it looks to be a completely different project now doing different things. So, you know, in some ways it's I think people responding to feedback I would hope, but um so I was kind of really cagey when I went to see it. I was like mm. <laughs> Does remind me of that Indigo Prophecy um aka Fahrenheit depending on where in the mm. world you bought this game, which is uh it's david cage's just <laughs> i mean i don't even know how to describe it uh, it starts at least procedural <laughs> obviously it's, it's got one of the best openings to a game ever in which you are uh the person who's committed a crime in a, just a random toilet in a, a bar and also you play the person who is investigating the crime in subsequent scenes which is so good it's so good and Wow, <laughs> I've never seen a game fall from uh, fall so quickly from that interesting standpoint to just absolutely batshit stuff that happens. It's what happens when you have one really good idea <laughs> and someone in the era before one-off kind of indie experiment games that are a couple of quid and you can play a fifteen-minute vignette to get the whole idea. Right. When you have to build the rest of the game around that, <laughs> so you, and then you your mind the... has nowhere to go but up. So it's like, what if the internet was trying to seduce Kill Me <laughs> with Beatles? Wasn't there also a clown and a roller coaster? And uh, angels uh, that come alive at the end. The, mm. the stone angels, they swoop at you. Mm. There are many games. It's amazing. I mean, well, awful. But it's one of the last examples I can remember of a truly, truly batshit kind know, of... Valley sounded... Like last week, Valley is nothing was... compared to Indigo. Well, Pearl. no, but uh... Indigo Pearl. Indigo Pearl. The you mean PR the Indigo firm. Prophecy? Oh, yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Not the video game's PR firm, Indigo Pearl. We should stress. Yeah, sorry about that. Massive, <laughs> crazy brain fart there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like now it seems I totally open emails from David Cage's PR firm. <laughs> yeah. totally... That'd be amazing. It's weird though because I I feel like very 
few games get that far when they've gone that weird without it being annoying. <laughs> no one stops it <laughs> someone's stepping in. Yeah. Like, without it being stopped or without somebody having done it on purpose or tried to make it like a meta thing or an in-joke or like a, mm-hmm. hey, hey, you know, aren't we quirky or, you know, whatever else. And so, yeah, but like... I I kind of like those joyously ridiculous hmm. projects. It's more the but yeah, like the stuff that I find too like silly to play or too I don't know. Like that would just be the the stuff that's not adventurously silly. It's just offensive or daft and boring. Hmm. I feel like with that kind of like maybe too silly stuff. So there's like there's an interesting line to draw between someone like Bayonetta or any Platinum game really, which they have these like masterful absurdity curves. They're my favourite games in mm. terms of getting sillier and sillier and sillier over time. Mm. But when you like particularly Bayonetta, when you when you're playing that game, especially for the first time, you're on this amazing roller coaster, which is like a game of chicken with the developers, mm. which is like you can't get stupid in the last thing you did. Right. And they know they can. Like there's <laughs> gonna be a bigger musical number than the one that game opens on. Yeah. You are going to ride a motorbike up the side of the Pope's exploding space station skyscraper rocket so that you can, um, poke actual God in the eye. <laughs> like that, that is, you know, the, you were going to those places. Whereas the David Cage, the Fahrenheit thing is like that almost happening by accident. Like the absurdity rocket has taken off and there is no stopping it. And mm. no one is saying no to anything and nothing makes any sense. Well, it's, the, it's the thing of authorship plus budget plus, you know, yeah. whatever else. But so is Bayonetta to a degree. It's just that there's a sort of there's a there's a degree of auth there's a degree of artistry in the excess, I guess. Or there's like there's a self knowledge. There's yeah. a kind of there's a reasoning. Like it's the difference between somebody creating Saints Row Four mm. and Saints Row the original you know like one was a kind of uh we don't quite know what we're gonna do with this but it's like got the budget because we are doing a sort of gta-esque thing Mm. i guess and then by the time four rolled around it was like yeah obviously aerosmith is blaring out (laughs) and you can do you know whatever the hell you like and you know it's uh, all of the pop culture references all of the time yeah this is yeah that's another great example of an absurdity curve yeah this is going to become a kind of crazy sort of you know hyper camp hyper liberal kind of mad power sex alien invasion VR <laughs> fantasy crime simulator. I love that. I think mm. if if you love the games and you played loads of games and all right overall their foibles, there are there are a few better celebrations of the entire sort of fucking medium than the Saints Row games uh three and four. Because in a way maybe that is close to the close they're so fucking stupid. Yeah. It's close <laughs> to one of the settings I would never normally play is yes. like kind of drab crime game. Mm. Yeah. I think I had to do like ongoing coverage of whether that was getting past the Australian censors for various reasons. <laughs> oh, right. And it was like, it was one of those things where it was like the gloriously deadpan discussion of dildo bats and things. And mm. you're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think possibly aliens getting high. I yeah, was like, there's a lot. I mean, there's sure. There's a lot in that <laughs> game. Everything, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm 
I like them. But yeah, I think it initially got denied certification by the Australian It's not hard board. for the Australian board to deny <laughs> no. you, I mean. But yeah. What was the actual phrasing? That it was too... That horror Silly games... Or, so it was... Um, let me just double check. Mm. It was... Uh, the horror games just don't scare her anymore. They, yeah. They've sort of lost their effect. So it's, I guess settings that are sort of worn off for you, maybe, is the other way of putting this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think there's like a lot that's that's worn off, though. Like, as in, I'm so bored with survival games that look the same mm. because early access yeah. ruined that for everybody. Like, there's only so many times I need to build a shack in the middle of a wood. But um, it's because that whole genre is pretty much a tub of puke <laughs> <laughs> with a, a few floating gemstones, a maybe. Big old but, stack of poo. But largely, uh, just that's perfect. <laughs> But the it's, other uh, answer was more fun because we got to talk about <laughs> Fahrenheit and things. So. <laughs> I think we've just about answered that. Uh, although Pip can clarify, uh, is bread the opposite of toast? Ooh, well, mm, bread is the opposite of milk. But, I mean, you know. Cause... Somewhere Tom Francis is spinning in his wheelie desk. <laughs> But, like, I don't know, because bread and toast are different things. We established that. Didn't we, we did establish that. I established that. And a fair few people agreed with me. Therefore, we established that. I'm not going to fight this again. Because you can't go backwards. You just can't go back. Apparently. But no, you can't. <laughs> toast cannot become bread again. It's just damaged bread. But, like, if you offer someone a slice of bread, they if you came back with toast, they would be like, this is toast. We're not getting into this again. Ugh. I don't even know what side I took in the original version of this argument. Anyway. Okay. I just feel compelled side. to take the opposite one, but that's the, um, that's the a different problem. Uh, Thomas writes... Hi all, in StarCraft and WarCraft 3, you could join a lobby for a custom game to play things like Defense of the Ancients, Observer Madness, and Tropical Tower Wars. When you joined a game for which you didn't have the map, the client would begin downloading the game and display the number next to your name, indicating which percentage of the game you downloaded. What percentage, sorry. Practical jokers would often tell those slow to download to press Alt F4 for a faster download, which of course closed your game and made everyone else in the lobby laugh maniacally. However, through time, this phrase became bastardized to press F4 for faster download, which had no effect. This vestigial saying became a shibboleth amongst the initiated, and an arcane saying for those less in the know, with countless noobs spamming F4 and hoping their modem would pick up the slack. Do you know any customs or sayings in games that have become distorted from their original meaning? Um, the example I use, which when we were discussing this, which is uh, maybe an edge case, is Smurf, uh, which was in initially named, uh, which is the act of creating a new account with a blank record in a multiplayer game so that you can get matched with new players and beat them up. Um, kind of being a dick. But it's named for uh, somebody... Was it a Warcraft player? I believe it was. who uh, Whose Smurf account, what we would now call a Smurf account, was called Papa Smurf. Mm. Um, and so that is where that, that phrase came from. It used to refer specifically to that person and then that person's name has become the word for that thing which is how language does what mm. else do we have for this i think uh troll is one of the uh, trolling is one of the kind of words that has traveled the most in the last couple of years mm. from i'm not sure it was originated as a video game thing but like originally trolling was 
Um, it's an online message board thing. Yeah, it? that's that's probably accurate. Where you present like a deliberately antagonizing position uh, in front of you put that in front of someone who you know will antagonize, and then the uh, it means when they kind of react in an extreme way to what you've said, you get to paint that as an overreaction, therefore devastating that person's overinvestment in <laughs> what they believe in. I don't know. I mean, it's always been a kind of shitty thing to do, but it's uh become basically a, a byword for uh just being shit to people <laughs> on the internet yeah it's like so trolls are just yeah. oh you know people it's just weird... hurling abuse at people well, that's trolling no it's just it's a weird combination of like abuse graffiti like <laughs> uh, bullying like yeah, cause it used to mean specifically baiting yes. yeah it was yes. it was baiting people in forum discussions yeah and, and in a one-to-one kind of environment where people are in part part of the community and understand each other then it's it can be funny and it can be clever um but it's become this like the word has just changed its meaning as it's been exposed to more and more people it's just become and it's almost like a euphemism i think now for just dreadful online behavior so Mm. when you see a report it'll say oh you've been trolled by someone no what that actually means these days is Someone's just said horrific things to you yeah. online. It can't be abused. Basically. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that that has travelled that word. Hmm. Mm. It's had a sort of similar traje- trajectory to the word irony. Hmm. I suppose. Hmm. Anyway, mm. sorry. No, that's true. But that, that is over the course of like a thousand years. Hmm. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, or one song. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I suppose there are phrases like GG that have kind of kept their meaning, but shifted through multiple cultural contexts. QQ is like, essentially go cry, isn't it? Yeah. It's supposed to look like two eyes crying. Yeah. But like, isn't that, wasn't that something slightly more specific than it is now? I don't think so. Because there are sort of cultural, like just even just slight tiny tonal shifts as things just get sort of divorced from the original game even mm. that they started in you know yeah like, yeah well i suppose you know the obvious one is um zerging used to refer very specifically to zerg mm. and using zergs to zerg things and now zerg it's, rush kind yeah of thing. and yeah. now it's any rush in any game is a zerg um that's been the case for decades that was the case when i was playing mmos but nonetheless it's definitely a word that escaped its initial context and Mm. went elsewhere completely um that's 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 the kind of thing i wouldn't actually i wouldn't be surprised if it entered language in some way Mm. like you know some person some venerable animal behavior researcher who happened to play loads of starcraft when they were a kid suddenly (laughs) refers to like the swarming behavior of a particular insect as a zerg and it suddenly becomes a thing right it's a great word it's really satisfying to say it's really satisfying to say there's um there's other things like roguelike gets a lot of discussion in comment sections when it gets used That's a good point. and mm. people sort of think it's either being used correctly or incorrectly and will then sort of indulge in long threads about you know yeah. what exactly is and isn't mm. yeah that's that's exactly that's probably the best example given so far i think because originally like probably <laughs> was like a turn-based version of this where it's become to mean like insta death hasn't it yeah it's a game where what you die and lose things yeah yeah mm. yeah that is a good example super interesting question though yeah it's cool 
Thomas writes. Is it is it Tearaway Thomas? It's not <laughs> Has he written this at like a hundred miles an hour? Your Thomas, Tom. <laughs> Actually, no, ter- Tearaway Thomas is Tom Francis. That's how he got all the way to. That's that shit. Yeah. Tearaway Thomas was alone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well. Actually, you just named two games. I know. That was my. That was a joke. No, I mean including Tearaway. Was that? Have I did. Um, hmm. Hmm. Thomas. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Thomas writes, "Dear Great and Grobar, in episode one seventy four, you had the question: Which game do you wish sold a few million more copies? My answer, of course, is the Guild Two. I've had plenty of fun being irate with my friend for setting fire to my church. My question: What game is your favourite to be angry with your friends over? Strange to find the game that." Um, makes it fun to be angry at your friends, particularly on PC. I think my kind of eternal answer for this is Mario Kart, because it's so happy and so cheery, and it's so much about shitting on your friends. You know? Mm. like it's a, yeah, it's, that's true. It's, it's, I know it's not a PC game, but it is like the genius of Nintendo's visual design and music and everything else is they've masked the nastiest game ever made <laughs> as and somehow made it look like the, the friendliest. Like, I will always associate... Uh, well, no, not associate. Maybe it's, it's strong. Luigi saying, what happened? After losing in Mario Kart 8 <laughs> or 9, whichever one it is, is still one of the best, saddest expressions of what someone's face looks like after they've just lost a Mario Kart race. <laughs> I can think of, isn't it, Pip? Shut up. Okay. Anyway. What happened? <laughs> I... I would say that Sonic All-Star Racing does, you know, a, an element of that for mm. PC. Um, gun game in uh, CSGO, I mm. get furious about <laughs> because it's like, you know, I'm still on the, you know, the really basic gun. And then my friend Craig is, you know, stabbing me in the neck with his fucking knife. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> So, you know, there's a certain amount of just outrage while also listening to, you know, Craig David mm. in a shared playlist. <laughs> all good. I'd say Spelunky, which is all about accidents and accidental we should, slaying. We should link the greatest Spelunky accident <laughs> of all time. When, when Craig and Crowbar played Spelunky back in the day and I may have dropped a knife on someone. It was me. <laughs> it was me, Tom. It was Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> also, you used to gang up on me in GTA Online. That was fun. That was not fun. <laughs> Only you were angry with friends in that context. We were having an amazing time. Yeah, but like... Like, oh. as far as I'm concerned, they spent a lot of money on a single-player campaign, but the reason I gave that game 92% is because you can steal a helicopter with a big magnet underneath it and fly it across the city hunting Pip. Mm. <laughs> it was the worst... But, um, yeah, so, like, I think there are lots of things where they've actually made it quite fun to, like, either gang up on people or just be sort of a bit shitty to them and and the end goal of, you know, winning doesn't actually, you know... What was the other one? The one where you are whales and you play... Is it Star Bold? No. No. Like, cause you can, you can like flop whales onto the, onto the board. I think it's stick board. Hmm. Where you're playing dodgeball, essentially. 
Um, and that was fun because like you could try and push people into the water and try and squash them with a whale or you know like all mm. of that kind of stuff. That was I think kind the, of the generation of great indie sort of mass single screen coke um, competitive games is all are all great for this, including like Towerfall and um, Gang Beasts. Gang Beasts, yeah, yeah, Gang Beasts specifically. We should link a bunch of great incredible videos, including the Gang Beasts mm. games because they were great. Like that's a good like no no sir I do not want to go in the grinder please don't put me in the grinder with yeah. friends game I think anything where you can sort of be on the sofa playing and shrieking at each other and then maybe at certain points reaching out to cover someone's eyes so that you get the upper hand mm. all good yeah exactly mm-hmm. take advantage of the particular privileges of being someone's friend by pushing them around in real life so that you can round them off a the track in Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Mm. What happened? <laughs> Thomas Westergaard, a different Thomas, writes, Truly, we have still not found Tearaway Thomas. Maybe it was me all along. <laughs> <laughs> the real Tearaway Thomas was the Thomases we made along the way. <laughs> anyway, he writes, Dear Grudge Box and Grief Bars, I recently played through Samorost 3, recommended by people who are dead to us now in their Game of the Year list. Mm. With my girlfriend, most of that game is a pleasant adventure with light music and logic puzzles. So we were having a great time until we came across a whistling mouse and an accompanying water piano. A listen to notes and repeat them puzzle. Both of us are more or less tone deaf in the classical sense, so it took us the better part of an hour with trial and error to please the damn musical rodent, only to find out that part was an optional puzzle for an achievement, and we were supposed to water a pumpkin to proceed. (laughs) Here could be a question about critical paths, but I just wanted to complain. Cheers, Thomas. I also would like to complain because would you? anything that has a musical element that isn't like a kind of Simon Says style, like see the pattern, repeat the pattern, and it just happens to also be making a noise, is my nemesis in games because I can't remember tunes well either and there was something there was a puzzle in Lumino City where I was I I had to just write it down like write the pitches of the notes down in relation to each other just so that I could Hmm. work out what the hell this thing was because I was just like I'm gonna cry I just can't do it (laughs) I can't remember this tune as a kind of omni musician Tom do you find those sorts of things easy uh I I can recognise the melody, and I don't have perfect pitch where you can just hear a noise and say, "Oh, that's C sharp." Uh, but <laughs> you could just say that. I, <laughs> I could just claim that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And the chances are, I won't realise. That's G. Mm, D. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of us has perfect pitch. <laughs> um, if you if you have perfect pitch, you just listen to that. Tell us what that actually was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. Correct us all. Uh, but that kind of puzzle is definitely a dick sort of a dick move i think it's cool to use audio cues like a certain type of noise or tone to remind you that you're in a certain area which mm. is what mist games used to do but the the mist games became so ridiculous uh, because they would require you to realize that a certain type of bird chirping was different in one area to another area and just i it's just <laughs> you're exercising people's senses beyond what ordinarily they would ever use them for mm. so how are they supposed to realize how are people supposed to understand without going to a game fact mm, it's weird because like there are some moments in puzzle games like some that came out last year where there were sound elements to them and i didn't actually find those 
as irritating, but there were things like in, um, and I don't know if this is going to be spoilers, so potential spoilers for Inside, um, but Inside you can only um, access like the secret ending if you work out some particular like sound cues and then put them together and then use them in a particular point in the game. Mm. And I managed to do pretty much everything towards that secret ending, but then it got to that part and I'm like, but I, you know, so I had to look it up in the end because I was like, I just don't understand what you're asking me to do. And it's because I don't hear and understand music in the way that would have enabled me to even conceptualize it right. And I I guess like in a weird way, I'm worried about sounding like, I'm annoyed about sound puzzles, but only because I have, you know, good vision and don't have any sort of form of colorblindness and, you know, all of those things that other people struggle with and that those puzzles are still in every single game. So I kind of don't really know what the answer is, um, but those things I really struggle with. (laughs) I think the colorblindness thing is not quite right but closer to it where mm. um like colour blindness is is just uh, a physical condition where you just see colours a certain way and that isn't necessarily the same with tone deafness i think i think there's a lot of kind of cultural aspects to it and people being told that they can't that they're bad at music and therefore don't develop the skills that they that people can develop to recognize this stuff mm. but frankly like it's it, interestingly like as society isn't set up in our education system to teach people those skills like what um in britain at least uh, what our education system teaches you is with art or with music is that you get to a certain age and you're either good at it or you're bad at it and that's the end mm. <laughs> pretty much like you're not allowed to continue to experiment for you know a long amount of time with those skills so they're not necessarily developed so then <laughs> requiring people to access underdeveloped skills for puzzles is kind of a dick thing. You like you don't you don't know what pe- level people are at with audio um, interpret you know their mm. ability to interpret audio with their ability to interpret even just tone of color and just kind of artistic sensibilities. Like that stuff is just so subjective on the part of the player that it's it feels to me like kind of a dick move to structure a complex puzzle around that stuff, or at least certainly to gate stuff off. And and right. it sounds like from the letter that that specific one didn't, but maybe didn't communicate that it wasn't. Yeah, but like I think I'm right in saying the luminosity one was just a point where I could have not progressed right i love the so the best example of this i can think of is i love the design of the the first part of the templars well encounter in the vault of glass in destiny um mm. because that is mm. the part where you have to destroy basically a series of, of glowing orbs and it teaches you this by kind of um when you enter this area where which is sort of platforms overlooking a kind of multi-layered courtyard kind of thing with pillars and enemies that come from different directions and kind of thing um but there are i think between six and eight it's been long enough i used to do this thing every every couple of days but um sort of points where a a big orb can spawn essentially and if a player doesn't get to and destroy the orb in time uh they'll be deleted from time which is bad so um or the entire team will so it's a wipe uh but and it, it sort of tells you where they are initially by having them appear one after another and 
and they do that. And then um, after that, they, you know, appear one at a time in, in seemingly random places and you have to go find the one that's just spawned. And then eventually they spawn in, spawn in pairs and that's when you have to coordinate and split up to make sure you're covering both bases. And, and meanwhile, the rest of the team is is doing other things, you know, clearing out um, uh, enemies and, and all the rest of it. Um, and so it sounds like a very si- relatively simple encounter, but because of the layout and the lines of sight on the level, um, you can't, there's no one place you can stand and see them as they spawn. You have to have people in different parts of the level looking. If you're, if you're not cheesing it from a different, from a ledge where you can see everything, which is possible, but, um, as it, as designed, you have to kind of, have people spread out which is dangerous and and then you know react to the fact that come up with your own names where they are so like one's on staircase and one's on the back right ledge and all these different things um and that's completely non you know that's completely organic kind of teamwork generation it's one of the reasons destiny's raid so good is is the kind of you know once you and your friends are really good at that you've come up with your own language for doing it however there is a shortcut and it's the fact that every single orb when it spawns has a different note associated with it and together um they form one of the key musical refrains of the destiny soundtrack played backwards which i think it's backwards mm-hmm. which is kind of or it's the, it's the component notes of that melody um and um so eventually like i get to the point where even though i'm not like very musical at all um i just only encounter so much that i couldn't tell you what note it was but i knew what note was roughly what location like they were different enough that I could tell you. Yeah. Like I think I know which which of which of two this is just from the sound it's made because you can hear it everywhere when it spawns. Uh, yeah. And so that was a really interesting way of like not gating people's progress, but there's like a level of mastery you achieve that's just entirely through an audio cue. Yeah. Which I really like as a way of doing that. It's I really good. I think I didn't reach that mastery, which mm. perhaps says something about the point where I'm at with mm. sound because I know that both of you also play musical instruments to varying yeah tom much much more so than me like as in um whereas i'm like i can play things but i'm just following the exact instructions on a page i'm not hearing the notes so i can't tune anything and i can't use anything that requires me like i tried to learn the french horn don't ask um (laughs) but like the amount that you blow actually affects the the sound it makes and that was absolutely beyond me because i was like i just can't Mm. Uh, whereas with a recorder i'm like if i cover this hole with this finger it makes the right noise for the note that is on this line Mm. (laughs) Mm. so yeah it sounds like you two maybe had more of a i feel like that's the perfect um way of using sound in a puzzle though because first of all it's not necessary for you to progress you can just use language um but if you know you have the inclination then it teaches you like sonic difference by just simply doing it and through mm-hmm. associations and through playing you you gain a, a certain acuity sonic acuity by simply redoing yeah. that puzzle over and over again which is amazing it's teaching you stuff and also i think it helps a lot that in that context it's a social thing it's something you've entered into with six other players yeah and if you have one person in that group who's particularly good at remembering a tone and matching it to something else that they've remembered because like, that stuff, yeah. yeah, if you num basically if you numbered the the orbs one through six or how many they are, I can't believe I've forgotten that. And if it, you know there are there are people who are going to be better and worse than others at going that was a two and then a three or mm-hmm. that was a two and then a seven or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. And then 
that means that certain players, and this is great for a co-op encounter, that means that certain players will kind of emerge as natural shot callers who might not expect to. Yeah. And then rather, and that will change the way you play the strategy. So then rather than have players off in vulnerable vantage spots waiting, you have the listener person who goes, that was a one and a five. And then you go to one and five. And that is super great organic kind of human interaction yeah. through game design. And I really admire that kind yes. of thing. With Destiny is so good. We never did the Destiny podcast. No, so but, we're just uh, doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit like that is where Destiny is as good yeah, as it is. It's amazing game. It is so underutilized though. I'm so much more used to just games using sound to cue you in as to whether you've done something good or bad. Like mm. there's usually a good noise and a bad noise and you know when you've done the wrong thing and you've got the horrible noise. And I think so many PC gamers specifically know the exact noise that Windows makes when it locked up. You know, <laughs> it's like there's a boom. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> like, but if if but you'll see it because if um if people get message notifications or if they get that noise while they are like while they are recording a YouTube video and then upload it with that sound still in. All of the comments will be the timestamp of that noise <laughs> and people saying, I checked my messages yeah, yeah. or I checked never, my yeah, PC. Yeah, yeah. Never or, record know. a video that has a G-Chat notification sound or yeah. a Steam message sound. Because everyone mm. would just be like, oh, hang on, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, so it wasn't a question. It was a grudge. We made it into we one. We made it into one. Mm. So that is actually all of the questions we have time for. However, mm. last week uh, we did ask that you deliver to Pip your grudges from grudges. Yes. So we have mm, two grudges. For the book. For entry into the book. <laughs> First up, it's Kane. I don't know. I think Thomas should have an entry in there. Like, we, that, that, that was, like a, that was 50%. Grudge. He, he sent us a grudge, but he couched it in question. He but even acknowledged it wasn't a question, though. Did. So I think it's That's going in the grudge book. Okay. So, yeah. It's in the book. Agreed. It's, it's in, in the, the book. book. Enter the tome. Mm, mm. First up, it's Kane, who writes, For the Creighton Crowbar Grudger Decks... Yep. Which is an alternate name for the uh, Librarium Grudgeotica Pipica. <laughs> to give it its full Warhammer 40,000 name. Oh the burn book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, aside from the Mass Effect 3 ending, my grudge is awful UI, but in particular unskippable bullshit. I suspect Tom Francis is now spinning contentedly in his <laughs> wheelie desk in agreement. Uh, whether this is unskippable cutscenes, unskippable startup videos, end of match unlock messages in multiplayer games, or modal UI elements that can't be dismissed quickly, every second that a game forces me to stare at a flashy menu I don't care about feels like an eternity, and I'll never forgive any of the incompetent UI designers responsible for it. It's about the only thing that'll make me angry enough to actually provide beta feedback. Regards, Kane, he gave a link to a, a thread he left on the Ubisoft beta feedback forums <laughs> for For Honor. Speaking of game with wonky menus, in fact, I'm surprised Kane likes that game as much as he does, given that it showers you with nonsense yeah. almost constantly. Mm. I think also a, a particularly egregious example is when a game gives you an unskippable bit of dialogue and then doesn't let you leap up and down while the person is talking to you. Because you do that in real life. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, you, you, you're going to be pressing A anyway. It's quite nice if it lets you, like, lunge or jump or move around while the person is delivering all of this exposition nonsense. Mm. Mm. But when it won't, when you are just rooted to the floor, you're just like, well, what's my impetus to even stay here? I'm just going to get a cup of tea. Can someone catch me 
up on the dialogue when I get back. You should be able to gesture at them, like uh, do a kind of hurry up and explain gesture or a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down or, you know, various. <laughs> Just yeah. hold up a scorecard. <laughs> I'm totally with Kane on unskippable intro videos. Mm. And because, like, I know why it happens. Like, I understand that games developers get support from like say nvidia or amd or a hardware manufacturer or intel or somebody speed tree speed tree and must it must be recognized it's, it's normally one of the big graphics card manufacturers yeah. and the condition of this is that you must show the splash screen mm. when the game loads um but but fuck off alternatively because while i maybe appreciate that the support those brands have provided to the game showing those screens only makes them resent makes me resent them if i can't skip them yeah. like it might as well pop a big screen saying, and I have an NVIDIA card. This is not against them specifically, but it might as well pop up a big screen that says, NVIDIA, we're in the way. <laughs> or like, NVIDIA, you'd be having fun if it wasn't for us. <laughs> like, it's not a good idea. I don't become, po- you know, I don't gain a brand association that I will never, you know, or a loyalty I will never shed because mm. you inconvenienced me. Can I just say, though, that this is rather undone by the fact that you prefaced your irritation with nvidia by saying i have an nvidia card well actually i said so. that i said that because of how notoriously factional the kingdoms of graphics can be and i didn't want my subsequent argument to be dismissed as amd fanboyism but i'm just gonna say that it's not getting in the way of your your well, using of the no but also i would say that i i totally appreciate that unskippable intro stuff is a pain in the ass but as somebody who has watched Disney DVDs and videos and things, like especially DVDs, they put a bunch of Disney-related advertising that you cannot skip before you even get to the menu screen. So games have not plumbed the depths quite yet. No, they but will. I encourage them to go there. They will, but uh, <laughs> uh, yes, there are worse examples out there, which is just mm, upsetting. Fair enough. Finally, our final... Mega grudge, and it's a good one, comes from Bean. I love a good grudge. Mm. I love it. <laughs> and you'll like this one. And he addresses it specifically to you. Yes. He says, Send Actually, me I- your angry and your miserable. <laughs> 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 That's on my Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Dear High Queen Philippa Pip, grudge bearer. Mm-hmm. We have to get you that grudge throne. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a little, little planquin. Uh, my grudge is a simple enough one, but with a more elaborate setup than others bearing the same grievance. It features those friendly little NPC spelunkers and hirelings you met within Spelunky, although it all started with that damned ninja. I don't know why I'm doing like, a dramatic reading of this, but okay. I think you should. All right. It's fine. I'd been playing Spelunky for some time, clocking up somewhere in the region of 30 or 40 hours without ever reaching Olmec. Then one day everything just seemed to click into place. I took my time, I didn't waste my bombs getting every single gem, and I reached Olmec's chamber with enough equipment to make the whole thing a breeze, including a jetpack, climbing gloves, the ankh, and oodles of bombs. It's like an M.R. James. <laughs> so you have Reading. kind of turned more into, like, the kids show Nightmare. What's his name? Treyguard. <laughs> That's where I'm going. <laughs> M.R. Treyguard presents... The final grudge. 
Not wanting to take any chances, I chose the safe approach and lured Olmec over to the far left side, like I'd seen Bananasaurus Rex and others do so many times. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then I climbed up and explored the level, savoring the moment. Among the usual treasure and crates, I found a new coffin, eagerly cracking it open to rescue the new spelunker to aid end my quest with the ninja. This is where things started to go a bit lopsided. <laughs> I finished gathering my just rewards and went back to the ground level and slowly started laying out sticky bombs to leave a nice wide pit for Olmec to fall into. Unfortunately, my new playmate was quite rambunctious and started picking up my bombs and cheekily throwing them away, making the hole much wider than I wanted. Not to worry, I thought. I have enough bombs to clear this whole level if I must. That's when my little ninja buddy got a little bit too boisterous. <laughs> I'd just dropped a pair of strategically placed bombs when he picked up the first and threw it right at me. I tried to get away, not wanting to accept the sticky fate that awaited me, but it was not to be. The bomb exploded and my precious spelunker was blown to bits along with my new shinobi friend. But wait, I shouted. I still have the ank. Victory is assured now that I don't have that fellow dogging my every move. As the camera panned over, a horrifying realization dawned upon me as my jaw dropped. I had left Olmic sat in front of the entrance. <laughs> I respawned inside that smug gold face. <laughs> but all you saw was the telltale blood spatter of a crushed player. <laughs> I was stunned. I didn't say anything for several minutes, just stared at my death screen. I couldn't believe how close I'd come, only for it to be snatched away at the last moment by this insignificant helper. <laughs> the swearing lasted for some time, as I eventually closed Spelunky for the night. I did manage to beat Olmec on my next attempt a few days later, but the wound was still fresh and the joy felt hollow. That ninja changed the game for me. I have been killed by hirelings before, but even so, I still try to keep them alive, feeling bad about leaving them to their fate. Nowadays, I do everything I can to avoid them, those who try and follow meet their death as soon as possible, <laughs> whether it be by spike or by whip. That experience changed how I play the game, and I will never let him forget it. I apologize if my grudge was a little lengthy. Apparently, that guy has been weighing on my mind for longer than I realized. Please consign him to the buck of grudges where his transgressions will never be forgot. Grudgingly yours, Bean. Consider yes. it consigned. It's That's in the book. amazing. Send us your grudge stories. Send this can actually grudges. be a segment. Yes. Fantastic. Grudges from grudges. <laughs> and yes. every week, a new grudge from Pip. Yes. Well, maybe I'll add, like, maybe I'll just create a book. Maybe that could be our next project, is just the, the actual book <laughs> of grudges. bound in... Yeah, leather-bound. Discarded hard skin. drives. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's probably slightly less illegal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We should call this section Total War, with two R's. <laughs> yes. Um... Great. Well, that is legitimately all of the questions and grudges that we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question or grudge for a future episode, you can email us at questions at com. You can also tweet us at CreightonCrowbar. And that is also how you follow us on the internet. You can also chat with pals on our Discord channel, the link for which is at the very top of our website in the menu bar of com. This podcast is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers. If you'd like 
to chip us a few dollars per pod, which will also help us produce our side projects, including the, at this point, highly imminent miniatures gaming spin-off that we've kind of half come up with a name for, even though we've recorded it. That's coming very soon. Then you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, you can find Pip. Hello. Over oh, there. yes. But no, also it's more specifically fine. on Twitter. At Philippa War, which is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R, which is also my Instagram. Interesting. If you like birds. If you love great pictures of little birds. Small birds. Tiny birds. Tom. I'm at PTG Ludo, which is L-U-D-O. As always. <laughs> Doesn't change. Doesn't ever change. It's always the same. And I'm... Do it in song. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> so people know which letter you're Perfect about to Perfect pitch, say. of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody. Bye. <laughs> Flawless victory. <laughs> I'll miss that silence. Need to be for crazy. Until Pip breaks. <laughs> <laughs>